Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast. This free podcast is made possible through gifts by people like you. Please consider making a donation through the donate button on the website to help us offer unique audio, video, and text-based teachings on the internet and to grow this community library. Michael's teaching bridges the gap between inner healing and social change by synthesizing traditional spiritual teachings with the insights of the West. To learn about Michael's international retreats and workshops, please visit michaelstoneteaching.com. Thank you for your support. For those of you who have uh, sanghas or communities where you practice together, this is a good practice you guys should do together. Uh, just go around the room and find out what people's questions are. And uh, don't answer them. Just <laughs> gather the questions. On this occasion, Subuti was also present in the community. Rising from his seat, he uncovered one shoulder and he touched his right knee to the ground. Pressing his palms together and bowing to the Buddha, he said, it's rare, most rare indeed, how the Tathagata, the Arhan, the fully enlightened one, blesses fearless bodhisattvas with the best of blessings. And it's rare, Bhagavan, how the Tathagata, the Arhan, the fully enlightened one entrusts fearless bodhisattvas with the greatest of trusts. Even so, Bhagavan, if a noble son or daughter should set forth on the bodhisattva path, here's his question. Everybody listening? How should they stand? How should they walk? And how should they control their thoughts? The Buddha told the venerable Sabuti, well said. I should have said this. <laughs> well said, Andre. Well said. It is so, Andre. It is as you say. The Tathagata blesses fearless bodhisattvas with the best of blessings. Do you hear he's like repeating the whole question back? You should therefore truly listen. Sabuti, consider this well. I shall tell you how those who set forth on the bodhisattva path should stand, how they should walk, and how they should control their thoughts. The venerable Subhuti answered, may it be so, Bhagavan, and he gave his full attention. It's so interesting. So, uh, as I said earlier, uncovering one shoulder is a sign of respect. Um, and in the Sangha, Subhuti stands up to ask a question. The word Subhuti uh, means uh, born of emptiness. Some translations, the Thich Nhat Hanh translation, calls it uh, auspic auspicious sign, one of auspicious sign. And there's some details you should know about Subhuti to set a context. And I'm sorry for geeking out on this, but this will help you understand the text as you study it. 
Um, Sabuti was elderly. He was one of the most elderly people in the Sangha. So this is an interesting detail that everyone's gathered together for a teaching and the person who asks the first question is the most practiced and the most elderly. And what's he asking? How do you practice? <laughs> so the most practiced person is asking how to practice. The story of why he got his name, uh, Born of Emptiness, is a great, great story. On the day that he was born, all the silverware in his house disappeared. So they said he was born of emptiness. And seven weeks later, it reappeared again. So this is a lot like emptiness teachings. Nothing's there, and then it all reappears again. You sit and you're all in your neuroses, like wondering what you should do with your life, and blah, 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 blah. And then for a moment, just everything opens up, and you're quiet, and there's no you that it's all happening to. And then it all reappears again. And then you're like a neurotic person again. <laughs> Emptiness as a word tends to emphasize when things disappear. But as a practice, emptiness is about the disappearing and the reappearing. And that's what Subhuti is named after. The wisdom of the emptiness and then the reappearing again. But when they reappear, they don't have the same boundaries that they did before. They're not exactly the same as before. It's like your third marriage is like this. <laughs> Right? Your second marriage is kind of like your first marriage, and then your third marriage is like, really, I'm making this up, but I, it must be like your third marriage is probably like amazing, because you've had all these marriages to practice for your third marriage. Yeah. Those tattoos are going to need some work. So our lives are like silverware. They disappear, or like socks. Right? They disappear, and then they reappear, and they're kind of the same again, and not exactly the same. And the self is like that. Sometimes it's so small. Like if I asked you to draw a circle that is yourself, how wide would you draw the circle? Would your circle include the Don River and Cherry Street? Would your circle include all the different economic and social dynamics in the neighborhood? Do you feel jealousy? You should draw your circle wider. Do you suffer from having envy? Then you need to draw your circle a little bit wider because now something's placed outside of the circle. So the circle that is yourself is just is too small. So our practice is designed to start drawing the circle wider and wider and wider and wider. The other thing I want to point out in this before we get to the question is this word trust. There's this theme that emerges here that I noticed in the commentaries isn't picked up by Red Pine or Thich Nhat Hanh. 
but it seems central to this paragraph, which is how rare it is that there's trust. We say we need to earn trust with each other. And you know, to some extent, I think that that's true. But haven't we already been blessed with the greatest of trust? That seems what Sabuti is saying. Like, aren't we already blessed with trust? Like a pre-trust. I think when you sit, you're learning how to have a relationship with pre-trust, the blessing of pre-trust, not conscious trust. But when you sit, you're sitting so you can feel your life. If you've studied with me for a while, I always give this instruction, which is feel what it's like to be alive. When you sit, just start to train in the feeling of what it's like to be alive. What does being alive, that's my question, what does being alive feel like? That's my question all the time. What does being alive feel like right now? And if you wake up early in the morning to sit still, this should be your practice. You breathe for a while, you get your mind settled, and then just feel what it's like to be alive. You got the grant? Here you are. So Sabuti seems to be saying in this paragraph, he seems to be trying to communicate to the Buddha that he's so grateful for this blessedness, this trust, and being alive. Even so, Bhagavan. So he's saying, like, I'm really grateful, but <laughs> also I've got this question. How should a person set forth on the Bodhisattva path? How should they stand? How should they walk? And how should they control their thoughts? And this question really uh, touches me. Because for me, how I hear it is, yes, there's this deep trust, but how do you live it? How do you live a blessing? You have a blessing, how do you live a blessing? How should you stand? How should you walk and how should you control your thoughts? So I want you to really picture this. Subhuti stands up, walks over to the Buddha, the Buddha's practicing mindfulness, puts one knee down, bows, so he's like right in front of the Buddha. With 1,250 monks and nuns and lay people around. And just says, uh, how do you live? What kind of spirit should you cultivate when you're walking and when you're standing? Or another way of thinking about this is how do you recognize your ultimate blessedness or entrust, entrustment and activate it? It's like that wonderful book by the local writer Sheila Hetty called uh, How Should a Person Be? must have come from this text. One commentator, Seng Chao, says, 
as a comment uh, as a uh, comment on this line. Although a great bell is impressive, it makes no sound unless it's rung. Although a great bell is impressive, it makes no sound unless it's rung. A person's practice might be impressive, but it's nothing unless it's fearlessly activated. So how do you do that? And then the Buddha responds, and his response is so good. He basically says, that's really well said. <laughs> and then he says, it's really well said. And then he says, so it is, it is as you say. And then he repeats the whole question. And therefore, he, and then he says, therefore, you should truly listen. And then he says, consider this. I shall tell you um, how to sit and how to walk and so on. Uh, tata means suchness. And gata means to appear. In other words, suchness is like... When I say, how does it feel to be alive, that's tata. Like, you can't say what it is. And gata is just the appearance of that, the recognition of that. And that was the nickname they had for the Buddha, tathagata. Right? The appearance of suchness. And actually, if I were to write a commentary on this text, I would say that that's the Buddha's answer. The Buddha's answer is, Subhuti, listen. No matter how sophisticated our practices ever become, it always comes down to listening. Always. No matter how good we are in our lives, our relationships are working, our business is working, like whatever's working for you, you can always be a better listener. We need to learn how to listen if we want to learn depth in the teaching. We have to learn how to listen internally and listen to the teachings more clearly, even if you've heard them 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 times. And part of that listening is learning how to relax in yourself. You're okay. So listen. You don't have to prove anything. Another commentary says something about this, named uh, Dao Chuan. Before the Tathagata, the Buddha, has spoken a single word, why is Subhuti singing his praises? When you see horns above a fence, you know there's an ox on the other side. When you see smoke above a mountain, you know there's a fire behind the ridge. When you see horns on the other side of a fence, you know there's an ox coming. You can feel it, you know. I always say to this to people when they are going on retreats. They're like, I'm so nervous, I have to leave my family. We have 40 caregivers for the week, <laughs> you know. I have 90 people covering my classes or whatever. Um, and then they go on retreat and they come back from retreat and all the people who are helping out 
are like, you got to go back and do another retreat. It's so good here without you. But then after that, they recognize that a person comes home from retreat as such a better human being. Because they're more in themselves. They're more in their lives. And you can feel this with people who practice. You can feel what their practice is. Right? You can see the horns. You know there's an ox on the other side of the fence. So then the Buddha says, Sabuti. Those who are going to set forth on this fearless bodhisattva path in whatever realms might exist. Oh, they give birth to this thought. So this is the thought you're supposed to have. Ready? You should memorize this. Because this remember, how do you control your thoughts? How do you stand? How do you walk? You should think this. However many beings there are, in whatever realms of being might exist, whether they're born from an egg, or born from a womb, born from the water, or born from the air, whether they have form or no form, whether they have perception or no perception, or neither perception or no perception, in whatever conceivable realm of beings one might conceive of beings, in the realm of complete nirvana, I shall liberate them all. So gone is that whole language of like sentient beings and all this stuff. It's just like whatever you can think about, you're going to work to awaken that which you encounter. It doesn't matter if you can't even think about that. You're going to awaken that also. And then, and though I thus liberate countless beings, not a single being is liberated. And why not, Sabuti? A bodhisattva who creates the perception of a being can't be called a bodhisattva. And why not, Sabuti? No one can be called a bodhisattva who creates the perception of a self or who creates the perception of a being, a life, or a soul. So I don't know about you, but like, that's not the answer that I would want. Imagine you have all these years of experience, and you get the nerve to stand up in front of the... Like, imagine if Thich Nhat Hanh was here, and he was like, OK, does anybody have a question? And you said, oh, yeah, how do you be a bodhisattva and help people? And he answered like this. So basically, whatever you think about, and even what you can't think about, every being, every organism, whether that organism has perception or doesn't have perception, you should work to help them be free. Okay? But if you see that they are a being that you're trying to free, then you can't free them. Why? Because you've just made them an other. Why not, Sabuti? No one can be called a bodhisattva who creates the perception of a self, of a being, of a life, another person's life, or of a soul. Wow. 
That's pretty cool, isn't it? So it seems now that there is the beginning of a differentiation between a Buddha and a Bodhisattva. A Buddha is someone who's working to be free, who wants nirvana, who wants to be free of all this difficulty. And a bodhisattva is someone who realizes you can't be free because there are other beings who are not even other beings. They're actually just you. And so if we're not all free, then I can't be free and they can't be free. But if we're free, then they're free. But then there has to be a me that's free. But then I have a self that's free. What are talking about that? What's that? What are we talking about that? Are we talking about that? <laughs> Is that what you said? Yeah, I <laughs> So the Buddha gets him set up. This is the last thing I'll say about it. The Buddha gets him set up, right? All sensitive and like... Listen, Subhuti, I'm going to answer your question. Open your heart, you know. But the, maybe Subhuti's still bowing, you know. Um, and then he says, you should just have this spontaneous thought. This opening, this spontaneous thought. And the thought is, I want to work for all beings to be free. But you need to do that in a way where there's no other beings. So if I were to sum it up, I would say, how do you free all beings? To see that there's no other beings. You go into a prison and you sit down with a kid who did some really stupid thing when they were 16. Some dumb thing that changed the course of their future that changed the future of many other people, that maybe robbed other people of a future, and that caused damage, 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 damage. Do you know this story? You sit down with them and just imagine this, or maybe you do this work, and you sit down and you listen to their story without any preconceptions. You just listen and you listen and you listen. And slowly, their story starts unfolding. And the first thought you have is, if I came from those conditions, I would have done exactly the same thing that night that they did whatever they did. Let's say they killed somebody. I would have done exactly the same thing. And then you keep listening and you keep listening. And then you start to think, you know, I've kind of felt a lot of those same feelings too. And it's like a hair's luck that I'm not in prison. Because I pretty much come close to doing almost all the same things. It's not so different. And then you start to think, that moment where something broke and they did something stupid, they did something violent, was just a moment where they didn't have the skill 
to work with what was going on inside of them. They just didn't have that. Or the support around them to learn that skill, to make a more, uh, a more nourish, to take a more nourishing action. And then you think, but that, I do that every day, I'm like that. Every day. So in other words, the more you listen, the more they're not other anymore. And the trouble with trouble in our culture is from othering. That's the source of so much of our hell. When the steam engine was invented, we needed coal, right? We needed coal to run steam engines. And then that means you have to take a certain area of land and you have to write it off to mine it and get coal. And if you're going to do that, that means you also not only have to other that land, you have to other the culture that lives in that land, whether it's coal or uranium or whatever you're mining for. And so this whole habit of othering is so rooted in the psychology of this binary thinking. There's a me and there's an other. And the Buddha is saying here, you can't be a fearless bodhisattva if you're constantly in this mind state. That's it. Everybody get that? God, we're in the, only in the second section. 32 sections we have to do in three days. Yep. Another way of saying that, if you're caught up in um, being over, then there's that other place. Yeah. It can be. Yeah, helping can be pretty toxic, no? For both, for both the helper and the people who you think need to be helped. some sort of an alignment to that word. Uh -huh. And I there is some freedom there. Yeah. Yet there is some sort of a paradox. Uh -huh. so there is some sort of an entrapment. Yeah. That it seems like it's a very high station. Uh -huh. And as much as yeah. I enjoy listening to it, uh -huh. uh, there's there's a part of me that doesn't want to engage with that. Mm -hmm. I got my own problems. Like, I don't want to deal with this. Like, don't you understand how much suffering I've got? Like, I got problems I got to deal with. I'm not going to, like, 
Like, I'm an altruistic guy, but like, I gotta deal with my problems. <laughs> and like, I've got handstands to work on. <laughs> so we're gonna get to that. But I think I know what you're saying, which is like, my heart resonates with this altruistic attitude and something in me kind of pulls back, saying like, whoa, this might be going a bit too far. Yeah? Yeah, it's a, it's a station that I, I probably uh, been, I feel that it's granted to you. It's, uh -huh. it's something that is not grasped or achieved. Yeah. It's something yeah. that you have to stay in a position of grace or... Yeah. Uh, where it is sort of a style Yeah, yeah. Well, I won't say more than that. Let's just see what happens as this goes on. Yeah. Uh, was there another hand up? We'll take five minutes for questions and then we're going to try some practices with this. Yes, Ella. Uh, 